0: Well, praise the Lord. You have your Bibles there. I'll turn with you, if you will, this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to draw your attention this morning to verses 19 through 23. And the Apostle Paul, of course, writing this to the Corinthian church, he said, If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are all men most miserable. But now in Christ, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, that is by Adam, by man came also the, the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But every man in his own order christ the first fruits afterward they that are christ at his coming but i want i want you to pay a special attention to verse one you know or, or to verse 19 here you know paul says that if in this life only we have faith in christ if if this is the only if this is it is what he's saying then we are all men most miserable because if this is it my friends then all it is is religion and religion never saved anybody it's never given anybody hope so it's important and really to this morning this is the heart of my message is the importance how extraordinarily important the resurrection of jesus christ is how important is it well the resurrection of jesus christ is the greatest hoax that has ever been perpetrated upon mankind in the history of the world. Or, it is the greatest event that has changed forever the trajectory of man's destiny from this world. Today, Christians from all walks of life, all denominational backgrounds and theological beliefs, are celebrating the single most important and pivotal event, not just in Christendom, my friends, but in reality in the history of the world. No single event has ever rocked the foundation of man's belief systems as much as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole idea of eternity with god of you know or or the eternity with god or or even eternity in outer darkness is predicated upon the belief and the actuality of this single event that's how important it is but unfortunately today there's many inside of christianity who because of the pressure from the world and who are unbelievers, and uh, they've taken this stand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ need not be believed in because it's of no significant injury if you don't. Their contention, you see, is that Jesus need not have risen from the grave in order for Christianity to be valid and to be relevant. Well, as our scriptures this morning stated, Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're all men most miserable. So their position is unjustified. To name themselves amongst the believers and to deny the very central doctrine of the faith is sad indeed. But it's sadder for them because Paul says those who take that position are miserable. Why? Because they have no hope. In fact, when polled as to whether uh, they believed, here recently and and of course I, you know, in 19, or excuse me, 2017 uh, in the Aquila Report which is a conservative evangelical news agency they reported that one in four British Christians say that the resurrection didn't even happen. They said that when, you know, when they were pulled that they believed in some sort of afterlife, uh, but uh, that the resurrection wasn't true. The options that they were given for afterlife included stuff like re- the reincarnation of mankind, uh, heaven and hell, or things as obscure as the parallel universes in the astral planes. And yet they say some of that's true. These kind of statistics are shocking, no doubt when you read them, but they are absolutely revealing as to the state of Christianity today and this morning. But you have to realize, when when you look at the Gospel, how radical some of the statements Jesus made were. Now, no doubt Jesus was a radical and as a radical, he gave us no place to stand on the fence concerning him. No room, you see, to, to, to really say, well, you know, maybe, no, no, no. It, it's either true or false. Jesus told the Pharisees there in Matthew chapter 12, he said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. You see, there's, there's no two ways about it. There's no room on the fence. You, you can't stand on the fence concerning Jesus or the doctrines that concern him or that are about him. Now, I have to admit, I understand skepticism. One time in my own life, I was a skeptic of many things. Jesus made some staggering claims, no doubt. He made extraordinary claims. Jesus made claims that were so extraordinary that most people, no doubt, would find them hard to believe. I mean, here came this little Jewish rabbi who was so nondescript, so plain in his personage that the scriptures say that there was nothing comely about him that we should desire him. He was the quintessential example of the common man, if you will. And his looks were so undescript that he could have gotten lost in a crowd. Yet, he claimed to be the Messiah, the Anointed One, that centuries before had been prophesied that would come. One day, as Jesus was at the well of Jacob, he encountered a Samaritan woman. You probably know the story. And in the course of their conversation, Jesus pointed out that this woman had been married five times and that the man she was now living with was not her husband. Well, this astounded her. And of course, she went on to say that she perceived that he was a prophet. And her perception was pretty good because he was. But she went on to say that when we know that when Messiah comes, he will teach us all things. And I find it very interesting because there in John chapter 4, and verse 25 and 26, here's what actually transpired. This woman said unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. The first time in the gospel that Jesus admitted to being the Messiah, he revealed that very thing to a woman and to a very sinful woman, I might add. But he admitted, he, he claimed it, you see, that he was the Messiah. An extraordinary claim. It's either true or it's a lie. There's no room to stand on the fence, no ambiguity in that. No room to, 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 to say either or. No, 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 no. I mean, or it is either or. You, you can't say that both are true. You just have to take a stand on what Jesus said. Extraordinary claims. Oh, he made all kinds of them. In Matthew 9, uh, chapter verses 1 through 8, it says, And he entered into a ship, and passed over, and came into his own city. And, behold, they brought to him a man sick of palsy lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes and said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore thinketh you evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. You see, Jesus not only claimed to be the Messiah, he claimed that he could forgive sins. Extraordinary claims extraordinary he also claimed to be the very author of the law as as you you find in john chapter 10 he claimed that he lived a sinless life he claimed he was the only way to god in john 146 jesus said i am the way The truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The exclusiveness of what he said is extraordinary, my friends. So extraordinary that it's either true or it's a lie. There's nothing ambiguous about it. His statement is direct. He said, I am the way to God. He said he was the only way. Wow. Some would have a problem with that. Many have, many do. Jesus said, And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. So not only did he claim to be the Messiah, not only did he claim to be able to forgive sins, not only did he claim to be the author of the law itself, and that he lived a sinless life, But now he claims, oh my gosh, that he can give life after you've died and raised you from the dead. Extraordinary claims. Extraordinary. But out of all the things that Jesus said that the skeptic would find extremely hard to believe, the the, the most extraordinary thing that he ever said is actually found in the Gospel of John. One day, Philip, one of his disciples, came to him and asked him a favor. If you're you're reading along with me, it's in John chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. And and here's, here's what transpired between the two. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long a time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, showest the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? And the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Jesus had already told his disciples back in chapter 10 of the same book, there in verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. So here comes this little Jewish rabbi just tripping along in history at the right time, at the right place. And he made a plethora of extraordinary claims. He even claimed to be God. Now let me put that in perspective. We hear that. And those of us who believe and who have Placed our faith in Christ we have no problem with that but here's what the average Joe hears my friends I mean think about it if I came to you and I says look don't uh, don't tell anybody but if you've seen me you've seen God <laughs> you'd say Pastor Doug Coppen is one brick shy of a load maybe two and you'd be right to make that kind of claim that you're God In science, we have an axiom that says extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. You can't make extraordinary claims like the one I just gave you an example of without the evidence to back it up. In fact, one day the scribes and the Pharisees realizing the extraordinariness of Jesus' actions and his claims, went to him for this very purpose of receiving proof of what and who he was. They wanted a sign. They wanted proof, you know, that he was indeed who he said he was. So we find it recorded in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, Beginning there in verse 38, and he says, Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Mm. Extraordinary claim. They asked for a sign. What's the proof that you're the Messiah? What's the proof that you had the authority to forgive sins? What's the, what's the proof that you could give life and raise somebody from the dead? How do you do these things? Who gives you this authority they even asked him one time? Give us proof of that. What's your proof? Jesus said an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but the only sign he was going to give it was the sign of the prophet Jonah pointing to his resurrection. Wow. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof, my friends. You cannot get any more extraordinary than a person who has been genuinely murdered uh, in the most gruesomest way that you can possibly imagine, and then by his own power to raise from the dead. Yet this is exactly what Jesus Christ did. Now, there are those who question the validity Uh, of this most extraordinary event. They cry foul, false evidence, not true, couldn't happen. Yet the evidence would say that it did. And how do we know? How do we interpret the evidence? Well, we have an eyewitness. We're told in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John that Mary Magdalene was the first to go to the sepulcher after the Lord's crucifixion, and she found his body missing. But later on, she had a direct encounter with the risen Christ before he had ascended to the Father. So she was, in reality, the first eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once again, the first person to, to that he admitted being a Messiah to was a woman. The first person he appeared to after his death and resurrection was a woman. Very interesting. Now, in our system of jurisprudence here in this country. The strongest evidence that one can have in a judicial proceeding is that of an eyewitness. But even the prophet Moses revealed the lack of the weight of a single witness. You know they can be skewed you see. Some people will perjure themselves. Some people have ulterior motives for their witness that they give which is why the Bible says thou shalt not give false witness. But many people do. And the Lord understood that. So he told Moses even, you know, that with eyewitnesses that it must be by the by the mouth of two or three witnesses, you see, that all the corroborating evidence needed to be verified. So thus, in dealing with the issue of accusations and those type of things, you had to have three people come together and to be in, a, in a harmony about what they saw in order for it to be believed. So when we're confronted with the issue of the resurrection which is what we're celebrating today what do we what are we to take away I mean why should we believe that well we had more than one eyewitness in fact it's recorded for us here in John or in 1st Corinthians chapter 15 if you want to turn there with me and in verses 1 through 8 it's very extraordinary of course the Apostle Paul writing here he says moreover brethren I declare unto you the gospel. If you're taking notes, you need to underline that This is the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. That's an important word that he's saying here. It's extremely important that you get it. This is how you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain even unto this present. But some have died, some have fallen asleep, After that, he was seen of James and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen also of me as one born out of due time. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, we're told that Jesus showed himself to be alive. I love that. After his resurrection, by many infallible proofs. In calculating evidence... We say that eyewitness account is the best that you can have. And that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, the facts uh, are thought to be foolproof. Therefore, eyewitnesses of over 500 should surely be counted as extraordinary proof. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Jesus claimed that he was the Messiah. He said he could forgive sin. (laughs) He claimed that he shared the glory of God with God while he was in heaven. He claimed not only to have shared the glory of God, but that he, in fact, was God himself incarnated in the flesh of man. The scriptures tell us that Jesus thought it was not robbery to be equal with God. Extraordinary claims that require extraordinary proof. The only proof that would suffice would be the proof of his power over life and death. I remember many years ago when I was pastoring Calvary Chapel in Zanesville, I had given an altar call. And a young woman came forward and, and she said, you know, I want to receive Jesus. And it wasn't something that I did all the time, but that time, the Lord really laid it on my heart. And I said, why? And she just looked at me. She goes, what do you mean? I said, why? She goes, because I believe in Jesus. And I said, why? She goes, what, what do you mean? Why do you believe? See, I would never asked anybody that at the time, but I felt moved by the Holy Spirit to ask her. And she says, I I don't know. And I said, exactly. And that's a problem, you see. And I said, listen, look at the claims that this man made. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to have power over life and death. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. Claimed that he was God himself. I says, now, if I made those claims, how would, would you just believe me? she said no I said well then how could I prove it to you she says well if you could do miracles and I said really miracles would do it I says man you know guys like David Copperfield are great at illusions and I said that's not even Jesus did many miracles and he actually rose people from the dead and he did tell people he said if you don't believe my words at least believe the works but they didn't Many of them saw the miracles of Jesus and still rejected him. But Jesus said there would only be one thing, one sign that he would give, that that would be the, 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 the key linchpin in the proof that he was who he said he was. And he pointed to the prophet Jonah. That Jonah had spent three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the whale, thus the Son of Man would spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and then he would rise the third day. This is the proof. This is the only reason that we have to believe, you see. Jesus talking about the issue of him laying down his life in John chapter 10. He said, no man takes my life. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I received of my Father. What an extraordinary thing to say. He had power over life and death. Now, to the reasonable person, the eyewitness of a mass congregation of people of well over 500 attesting to the fact that they had seen Jesus alive would be enough. These eyewitnesses were attesting not just that they had seen Jesus alive after his crucifixion, uh, not for a minute, not for an hour, not for a day or a week even. They were attesting that they saw him alive for 40 consecutive days. That he dwelt with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. He fellowshiped with them. And he talked with them that whole time. Before his ascension back to the Father, he told his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has been the biggest motivation for evangelism the world has ever seen. Not philanthropism. Do not mistake the two, my friends. Jesus told them in the Gospels to go into all the world and to preach the Gospel and to make disciples. And it's because of His resurrection that they did. What a difference the resurrection makes. Look at the Apostle Peter. Everybody knows, they always point to Peter before before. Pentecost, you know, and they go, oh, you know, Peter would open his mouth and stick both feet in and say all kinds of stuff. Da- but look at him on the day of Pentecost. Look at the sermon that he preached. After he preached that sermon, 3,000 people came to the Lord that day. Read First and Second Peter. He's an entirely different man. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter even said, we saw him. We beheld him. We, 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 we ate with him. We drank with him. You know, we beheld we, we the Lord of glory. We saw him after his resurrection. You would think that this story of extraordinary claims with extraordinary proofs would be enough to draw the most skeptic sinner to believe in Jesus Christ. But according to the study that I cited when I started this sermon, 46% of those surveyed who claim to be Christians, my friends, say it didn't happen. Now many have said that the apostles simply made it up, you see. They conjured up the idea of Jesus' resurrection in order to build a church, in order to spread the propaganda had all the disciples and his followers been allowed to go on with their lives you see unmolested I could see where one would come to that conclusion but that's not the end of the story the fact is not only were the Apostles themselves and 500 others eyewitnesses to Jesus's resurrection but ten of the Apostles wound up giving their lives for their testimony of the resurrection. As we read in Corinthians, the resurrection is the pivotal and central and essential doctrine for salvation. Even in the book of Romans, Paul says, If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Why? Because those who come to God must believe that he is, and that he's a reward of those that diligently seek him. If you don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was because of his resurrection, if he's not alive still, my friends, he can do nothing that he said that he was able to do. Is it possible that someone would die for a lie? My contention is that not only is it possible that someone would die for a lie, but it happens all the time. All you need to do is to look at most religions of the world to find multitudes within it that have given them lie, their themselves and their lives martyred for something that they believed was true, but in actuality was a lie because they didn't know It was a lie. They had been deceived, you see. Those who claim that the apostles simply made it up would have us to believe that these men, these ten men, who were murdered in some of the most heinous ways that you can imagine. Some were crucified. Some were filleted alive. Had their skin peeled off. And we're told in church history that after their skin was peeled off, some of them were still alive and they would rub salt onto the, the naked flesh in order to revive them so their suffering would be longer. Others were tied behind horses and drug up and down the steps of some of the Roman cities so that their brains were dashed out on the steps. Heinous ways of dying. But they would have us to believe that they died those type of deaths knowing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a lie. Out of all ten, nowhere in history does it say that any of them ever recanted their testimony. You see, my friends, they weren't put to death. They weren't martyred because they were Christians. The Roman Empire really didn't care whether they were Christians. What they cared about was that these Christians were saying, That this Jesus, whom the Roman Empire had put to death, had more power than Caesar. Because even at the time of Jesus' death, Caesar demanded to be worshipped as a god. And so their testimony was that this man, Caesar, had no power over the true and living God. For Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead. This is why they were martyred. And none of them, none of them recanted. Now I have to admit, is that possible that a man would die for a lie that he knows is a lie? Well, I'll give it to you. Maybe one would. But two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10 now you're teetering on absurdity nobody would do that nobody would die for a lie especially one that they themselves had concocted my friends 500 witnesses sat with him ate with him drank with him for 40 days after his resurrection all the apostles saw him peter said we held him with our hands we, we had the Lord of glory. And then one by one through their testimony as they went out and preached the gospel because of the resurrection, each one of them were martyred in a most heinous way. And yet many of them went willingly to their execution because they knew the hope of life that they had because they had seen the Lord himself raised from the dead. If we in this life, as I started, have only hope in Jesus Christ now, we are all men most miserable, Paul said. Why? Because man needs hope. We need it. And Jesus gave it when he rose from the dead. Those who deny the resurrection, be they professing Christians or sinners, are lost, my friends. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only essential to salvation, it is the central doctrine of it. It is the earmark, the stamp of authenticity to every other extraordinary claim and doctrine that Jesus made. Its importance cannot be overstated. Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 10, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is why we're here this morning. This is why all true born-again believers celebrate this day. Because it was the only evidence that God gave to prove that Jesus was who he said that he was. In fact, it was prophetic. It had been spoken centuries before. Jesus said, I've told you these things beforehand so that when they come to pass, you might believe. Jesus said, I lay my life down for the brethren and I pick it up again. No man takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. You see, because Jesus has the power of life and over life, He has the power to give life. Jesus told us in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What an extraordinary claim. But you see, my friends, he's not asking you to believe it on the surface of the fact that he said it. He's asking you to believe it because he proved it when he rose by his own power from the dead. We're even told in the scriptures that when we finally see Jesus in heaven, he still bears the scars in his body of that crucifixion as a reminder for you and me throughout all of eternity of what he did for you and me. He gave all of mankind hope that day And those of us who have gathered together today as a memoriam to his resurrection to remind each other, this is why we believe. This is why we have hope. This is why we have joy in the Lord. This is why we can look past these things that are going on even in the world today and we go, this will come to pass. But even if it doesn't, Even if the Lord were to call me home, I know who my Savior is and I know I will live because I started living when I gave my life to Him. I know that I will live forever because Jesus has the power over life and death. He had it over His own and He can give it to you. So there you have it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest event that has happened in the history of mankind. God incarnate came to this earth. He lived a righteous life. He did miracles among the people. He made extraordinary claims. And he backed them up with an an extraordinary proof. His simple challenge to you and to me is to believe it. And to be saved. It really is just that simple. Let me ask you a question. Now, I know that if you have been wandering, if you've been teetering, you see, in your opinion about Jesus Christ, the Bible says repent. You know, the word repent simply means to change your mind. Change your mind about Jesus, my friend. Repent and believe the gospel. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Let this be the day of that salvation. Let this be the day that your eternity starts and your future is set. Jesus is who he said he was. Which means everything he said, everything he did, was true and extraordinarily yes but the proof that he gave us of his resurrection is extraordinary let me let me say one more thing to those of you who claim the name of christ yet you have denied the doctrine of the resurrection listen to me my friends i don't know what you did but getting saved wasn't one of them Now, I challenge you, you have every reason in the world, 500 or more reasons to believe. Because Jesus proved it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, even by some of the greatest skeptics that have ever lived, has always been said to be the most proved event that has ever happened. Even they believe it, though it makes no difference in their life, which is sad. But at least they acknowledge the truth of the event change your mind. Repent and believe the gospel. I want to pray with you now and before we leave and before we conclude this service, this great time of just talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want my friends uh, who are Christians, those of you who really know the Lord, I want you to pray with me that God will touch those who have been teetering, those who are not saved at all, those who have been sinners and, and unbelievers, but those who have teetered on their belief of these things. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit has His way as we close this this morning. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray for those, Lord Father, who first off have never made a commitment to you. They've never thought they had a reason to believe, and maybe this is the first time they heard the evidence that you have given to us, the proof, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the validity of that, and And the surety of it, Lord Father, and the promise that it brings with us that all that Jesus said is absolute fact. Lord, open their eyes. Let them acknowledge you, Lord Father. Let them confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus that they might be saved. And if that's you, my friend, I want you to pray with me right now. Father, Lord, I repent. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, Lord Father, and I have not believed in you, and I've lived my life by my by my own way, and it's been a miserable, miserable, miserable failure. But Lord, I realize who you are now. I realize that Jesus was who he said he was, and that everything he said and did was for me. Father, I acknowledge that. I ask you to come into my life and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me your own. And to those who are sitting in the pew that you've been waffling, you, you have been a lukewarm Christian all your life. But now you see the end is near. You see that the Lord is calling those who believe in Him to wake up. I want you to pray with me too. You Pray, Father, Lord, I am sorry. I, I repent, Lord, Father, of, of my misunderstanding of a old doctrine. And I pray, Lord, Father, that you would help me not only to believe and to embrace, but to go and to lead others to you, Lord, as you have commanded us to do. Father, be with your church. Be with your people this day. Lord, help us to take the commission Help us to realize that the sole doctrine of the resurrection gives us the authority and the power to go out into this world, Lord Father, and to lead and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that others might come to know you and might be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.